owned by Ryan Stiles. The Upfront Theater here in Bellingham, where fine improvisation takes place almost every single day of the week. Uh, and uh, we're having the podcast here for, I think, the third or fourth time. I can't remember. All I remember is uh, several months ago, I was with Ryan on the road somewhere, and I turned to him and I said, could we do the podcast uh, at, your, at your gaff after we uh, you know, do a couple dates on the road? And you went, I think you've done the podcast enough. <laughs> so against his will and against his wishes, you can take that all the way down, Nathan. Thank you, darling. Uh, we're here again, and it's so exciting to be back in Washington State, where the minimum wage is high, and so are the inhabitants. Um, <laughs> it's such a warm, friendly, adult atmosphere here that I can't get over it. We were driving the other day. We had occasion. We've been on the road with Who's Live Anyway, which is, of course, uh, Joel Murray, uh, uh, J- Jeff Davis, Bob Jerkatch, Ryan Stiles, and myself, and uh, we uh, tour the country, uh, inflicting our improv on unsuspecting people almost everywhere, and uh, uh, for the, if you're in the sound of my voice, we'll be in uh, Santa Rosa and Marin on the 6th and 7th, or is it Marin and Santa Rosa? I think it's Santa Rosa and Marin uh, at the Wells Fargo Center, and then a beautiful theater in Marin as well, so you can go to Who's Live anyway. Uh, anyway, we ride around in cars, and, uh, and uh, you know, just skeeting at all the fly hoes, and um, <laughs> we, we roll four deep, and we hoo-bang almost all the time. Uh, <laughs> S- smoking blunts, doing dabs off the engine. Um, like, no, it's all, no, no one fronts. It's for real. And uh, super, super gangsta. Uh, and so we, we stopped for uh, gas or something. I don't know what we stopped for, actually. I think we stopped to urinate because we're all over a certain age. I'm 44. And uh, <laughs> at this gas station on uh, the Conway exit was a wine tasting shop. And I was like, well, that's convenient because if there's one thing I want to do, it's drink a bunch of wine, and then get back behind the wheel and fucking tear ass into Bellingham so that I can go to Bikini Coffee. And uh, uh, Joel happened to uh, stray uh, to the side of the building, and there was a, a, a dispensary there as well with a smoking area. So potentially you could get high on the premises and then go next door, guzzle wine, and then jump back in your car and take your children to kayak practice. <laughs> And this is my message to the rest of America. Let's do this, okay? (laughs) Do you see how adult it is? Do you see how it works? Do you see how everything is one? Do you see that they've reached a state of zen perfection here in Washington State? They actually care about the homeless. They don't pull up barbed wire fences to keep them out. Um, There's a modicum of civil rights. uh, And, of course, you're allowed to buy marijuana and wine at a gas station. (laughs) I know Oregon pumps your gas for you. But when they start putting dispensaries and wine tasteries, and that's what they're called now in my book, wine tasteries. (laughs) Ah, this one goes perfectly with pork rinds. (laughs) This wine tastery is absolutely spectacular. I like the green wine. Um, That's when the whole world can grow up a little bit. When people say, oh, but how will you regulate it? How will you document it? How will you... Um, You know what? If if people cared about uh, guns and alcohol as much as weed, I think everything would be a little groovier uh, around the old ranchero. Um, I'm like that. So I said what I was going to say. Uh, Yes, we skag it. Uh, Then then Ryan informed me it was Conway. Um, I'm like that. Uh, And I'll... You know... um, uh, uh, we, there's a Jimi Hendrix display at the Seattle airport where I'm going tomorrow morning uh, and uh, I always stop and look at it because uh, he's so awesome but I wanted to play one tonight that uh, I don't know if you've ever heard before I know I'd never heard it I found it on something will you just spin that Jimi Hendrix jam I guess he listened to the album because he doesn't do the words right just crank it up for just a second 
right? Have you ever heard this? And this is where the Beatles song is no longer a Beatles song. That's it. It's a 49 second version where he gets all the words wrong. <laughs> and it's awesome beyond measure. All I can think of is I hope John and Paul heard it and went like, oh God, that's a better version. <laughs> that version fucking slams. Uh, I, I listened to it in my garage, but I just didn't, I thought we were in Washington. I'd, I'd spin it for you uh, just to groove on uh, Jimmy and his spirit that imbues all of us, I think, each day as we walk down the street. Uh, a lot of us would like to wear uh, a bandana around our leg and uh, an enormous hat with conchos on it. And we can't because we're not cool and good looking. So Jimmy did it for us. That's why. Uh, you can write me if you like, famm4kirk at gmail.com. I don't uh, respond to every one of them, but I do uh, uh, pronounce every really uh, poorly. I don't <laughs> respond to every one of them, but I, but I do read them all. Uh, and this one is from someone named Sean. And then in parentheses, she has written Sean, Perrin, of the woman type, and Perrin. Um, S H A W N, uh, not uh, S E A N. Um, or I'm sure there's an S H A U N, too, uh, for those who are contrary types. It's like the people who spell Ashley with an S H L, an S A S H L E E, instead of the necessary S A S H L E Y. Or the A-S-H-L-E-I-G-H, which are the traditional. For me, if you spell Ashley with an A-S-H-L-E-E, it's like you're a live bait sign. <laughs> an extra vowel got stuck on there. No one's fucking moved it in 100 years. No one's going to move it. And there's a light out. Uh, the, uh, Sean, of the woman type, writes, and I love the woman type. Let me be the first to say that this, this show supports you no matter what type you are. Whether you're the woman type or whatever the opposite of that is or any indeterminate uh, uh, derivations thereof, everybody's beautiful. As Ray Stevens said, in their own way, under God's heaven, the world's going to find a way. And that somehow Jesus got in and shit. Okay, that was a good one. He also did one called Ahab the Arab. And... Oh, yeah, he did. Play that one now on the radio. That's, that's for Trump rallies. You know what I mean? That's what you get. The king of the burning sands. Oh, yeah. It was, it was those days. He also did the streaker one, which was really awesome. I, wouldn't, I would be playing these, except I don't have them on my iPod, I'm proud to say. And, uh, <laughs> oh, yes, they call it the streak. Boogadabogadab. Best thing on two feet. Oh, yeah, it was good. And then he go, I'm here at the mall. Have you, did you see what happened? And then uh, inevitably, all three times he goes to someone live, they go, yeah, I seen it. Because <laughs> it was country humor. But like hee-haw country humor. And I saw a hee-haw infomercial two nights ago, which gave my heart joy. Um, 
I grew up watching Hee Haw, right? Like, my mother loved it. My mother was from Mississippi. And uh, we watched Hee Haw on Sunday night or whatever it was. And it had chicks on it, which is why, like, more than Laugh-In, right? Like, they had just chicks laying there uh, on lots of sketches. for no, And they were called awesomely. Because you, should, you can never elevate women enough. Hee Haw Honeys. And... <laughs> They wore cutoffs and uh, little shorty tops and whatnot, and they lounged on the front of the porch. Like, it was that total hilarious. None of them were from the South. They were all from L.A., you know, but, <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, Roy Clark and Buck Owens. It was, it, was, it, was a, uh, it was a mixture of comedy and music. The music was astounding. The comedy, wow. <laughs> they would, to give you an idea of how funny the comedy was, they would cut away from the jokes to two animated chickens going, <laughs> like that. And then they go like, uh, you know, Kentucky and Alabama, population 25, and everyone stand up in a cornfield and go, Sally! <laughs> fucking good, good show that was. <laughs> Ray Stevens did some time on fucking he baby. Bridget the Midget, the Queen of the Blues. He did a song about a midget blues singer where he speeded up his voice when he did the blues part. And the flip side of it was called Blown on Bagpipes. Uh, where he would imitate bagpipes in that one. You know, a lot of people talk about the 70s as a glory time for comedy. <laughs> and I grant you there was Richard Pryor, Lily Tomlin, Robin Williams, George Carlin, a lot of titans, Rob Klein, whatnot, Joan Rivers, obviously. But it's like, uh, when you think about Ray Stevens, those records would never get on the air now. You can't sing about a midget, and that's funny. And you can't, sing, you can't do a song called Ahab the Arab. Honestly, you couldn't then. <laughs> he just did. And then in between all, everybody's beautiful in their own way, except for midgets and Arabs. They're kind of acting gay. <laughs> Under God's heaven, everyone will be white one day. I pray. <laughs> Dear Greg, master of all things prepetitiveness, I'm a longtime fan of your work on Whose Line? I can imagine. Do you hear that, Ryan? <laughs> My work. <laughs> she doesn't mention the bald guy, anybody. <laughs> and greatly enjoyed your recent appearance on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. I did too. I don't know. I, I really enjoy doing it. I'd love to do it again. If you're anyone that works at NPR is listening, um, I'll go back. It was fun. They, 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 you go to Chicago, you have dinner. <laughs> By the way, you'll notice everything's about my personal comfort. Uh, after listening to approximately two years' worth of episodes in less than three months, oh, golly. I don't, know, I don't even have an apology for that. Uh, that, was your, that was your doing, Sean. Sean of the woman type. I am Sean of the woman type. <laughs> I am proofs from the East. <laughs> I have ridden a baby mastodon to get to you. <laughs> Let us have hairy bareback sex. Oh I've noticed a particular tick in your word choices. Frequently you say infer when I believe you mean imply. This may be an intentional act on your part as an expression of your sensation personality evidenced by your fabulous pronunciation options. My fear, 
is that otherwise intelligent people, well, of course, they are, if they're listening to you, may be led to this error in imitation of you, adding to the scourge upon the English language by those who misuse your and your, uh, then and than, and indiscriminately add apostrophes when none are needed, called for, comma, or wanted. Thank you for your help in healing what may be far down on the list of the world's ills. I wouldn't even put it on the list of the world's ills. My implication being this. Uh, I think it's fantastic that people pay that much attention to the show. That they're driving around or they're smoking a bone or they're gardening or they're you know, gently beating a loved one or whatever it is. And at that moment, you're like, he just said infer when he meant imply. <laughs> and you pull over in a high dudgeon. If you're in Conway, Washington, you get a glass of wine and a schoon dog. Get back in the road when you're ready to deal with my misuse of these. First of all, it's an inflammable situation. Because inflammability is my forte. Uh, when under, thank you for your help, but what is certainly easily addressed, I'm going to address it right now. I'm gonna, in future, I shall, uh, um, the implication will always be that I will infer when I mean to infer, and that I will imply only when implication is called for. And that if anyone in the audience picks it up that I'm misusing them, they are to go immediately to their car and drive home and write a letter <laughs> to Noah Webster uh, in the dead letter office, which is where he is. And uh, we'll get this fucking solved, you and I. P.S. to Greg, please come back to Philadelphia soon. Thank you. Please come to Philly in the winter. You can step over homeless there on the sidewalk. Uh, I will come back to Philly. I don't know when. They offered me a gig in February then, and I was like, hmm. <laughs> How about the spring or the autumn? I love Philadelphia. I really have a good time there. Uh, I've talked about it on the show many times. The Barnes Foundation is there. Uh, there's tons of great museums. There's loads of good restaurants. Uh, and I, I dig it. It's like, it's like, what if I loved Boston is what Philly is. <laughs> I'm so mean, and I just in Boston, too, and they were so nice to me. <laughs> postscript, postscript to the NSA and Gmail. I hope your scan of this email improved the security of the nation. Oh, wait, there's no way it did. Fuck off. <laughs> she put an exclamation point in, but I'm going to let that one stand. <laughs> Thank you, Sean, for your, uh, 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 for your, your whole, uh, for your sensation letter. I, I, appreci I appreciate it. Uh, and I received some gifts here tonight. They were so thoughtful. A young girl, I don't know if she's a young girl. She gave me a card like this. I presume she was young. Oh, it's a guy. Graham, all the love. <laughs> Thanks, Graham. You'll get used to it. I've been so camp my whole life, people fucking pitch up tents to watch me. And he gave me this fantastic uh, mini donut cat, a pastry pet. Uh, it's a little cat, uh, like a kitten's, right? I'm going to put it right there. Uh, and a bunch of chocolate as well. And you know how handy that is. Thank you so much. Uh, Capable with the what? Chocolate is THC. It's edible. Oh. Graham, uh, and you're aptly named in this case. 
I'm aware that it is. I was trying to not identify you to the fucking authorities, okay? Dude, have you ever heard of being cool? Has that entered your world, your frame of reference, your mind? At any moment, have you ever thought, you know, if I just don't say it, then no one will know? On the label of the chocolate, it says, this product contains marijuana. So, Graham, if that is your name, I prefer to call you Quartero Z. Well, I won't be taking these back tomorrow. There's a lot of FBI agents in this room. Thank you for that, Graham, and thank you for your discretion in future endeavors. Young Cat has given me a, a photo. No, this was uh, Jill. Jill gave me a Rat City Roller Girls. Uh, are they from around here? Do you guys? Yeah. Are you in the Rat City Roller Girls? Yes. Awesome. What position do you play? Uh, I'm a jammer. A jammer. My favorite position in all of roller derby. There's uh, the 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 woman who takes the lead is the uh, what do they call it? The lead jammer. <laughs> but there's blockers too, right? Joni Weston was a jammer. Uh, and she was bad Asador. Uh, Rat City Roller Girls, and she's giving me all these bitching. Uh, I think they're appliques that go on your clothes and whatnot, and then stickers as well, and buttons and everything. Thank you for that. Uh, if you're a fan of roller derby, and I know you are, if you're within the sound of my voice, uh, please patron uh, show your patronage of the Rat City Roller Girls. Get out there and watch them jam. Watch Jill jam. Uh, there's nothing like women on skates beating the living daylights out of each other. <laughs> It's an exciting evening. It's family fun. It's sexually arousing if you're a woman or a man. If you're a woman of the woman type, it's exciting. If you're, if you're a man of the woman type, it's exciting. Uh, and then uh, she gave me this. As, oh, no, you gave me this, Kat. Uh, Kat gave me this. Uh, who's sitting with someone named Tom. That's a fucking fantastic pair. Tom and Kat. Uh... A Merry Halloween, and it's a little bar of organic soap with a, a little kitten in it. And uh, thank you very much for that, Cat. We'll put that right there. And then she gave me these uh, coloring books called Dark Myths and Legends, a coloring book for adults. Carne uh, 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 Nuptum? Noctum? Easy. <laughs> Did you draw this? I wrote it. Oh, you wrote it? Well, let's have a spin through one of them here. Somebody say? Hide a raven. The. Crikey. <laughs> the raven Jula or Nankil Sloss is the revered and benevolent transformer figure who helps the people and shapes their world for them. He's also known as the wily trickster, and many hide his stories about Raven have to do with his frivolous or poorly thought out behavior, which I'm sitting right here, Tom. <laughs> I fucking resent a deity or a monster that's based on my own personality. <laughs> which causes trouble for him and the people around him. A wily trickster with poorly thought out behavior. <laughs> I wouldn't say wily. <laughs> and then you can color him in there. There he is. That's so awesome. Thank you. There's another one called The Goddess and another one called uh, Another Carnine Noctum, but a different volume. Thank you very much for this, Tom and Kat. That was really thoughtful of you. Dave has given me something. He, uh, he went to a Penn and Teller concert on the same day. He saw me in San Francisco in 1948. And... Um, <laughs> 
uh, Penn and Teller, he went on stage and did a gig with them, and uh, they pulled this out in the trick. As my recollection is, they would put you on stage, put this in a bottle, hoist it on before you even came on, and then you would actually say these words at some point, and then and they would reveal that you were going to say these words. It's an awesome trick, and I just blew it for them. Uh, <laughs> I've met them both, and they're, they're fantastic and, and like that. So thank you very much for this Penn and Teller memorabilia. I may keep it. I may re-gift it to a friend who's uh, more interested in the realm of the supernatural. <laughs> and you're like, but how are Penn and Teller supernatural? All they do is debunk that. Think about it. <laughs> and then, um, Dave? I heard you the first time. Your, your lady friend also yelled her name out as Jeff, which is what <laughs> confused me, frankly, initially, and then delighted me. So are you Jeff of the woman type? Or are you Jeff of the man type? Jeff of the man type, I think I've got down here, but Jeff of the lady type, I'm confused about your, your type. <laughs> Who's underage here? Who can open this? <laughs> oh, I got it. Uh, thank you, Jeff, for that. Or as you call yourself, Jeff! Um, <laughs> who named you? Paul McCartney? <laughs> woo, woo, woo. Jeff! <laughs> With the wind in your hair, thousand laces. It's a handcrafted vodka from Mount Baker, Mount Baker Distillery, which is right here in uh, Bellingham, uh, WA. And I'm gonna pour myself a little heaping tot there. Thank you very much. <laughs> donut cat. <laughs> donut cat, donut cat, oh, donut, 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 donut cat. Dun, dun, dun. I was smoking dope and no one knew until Donut Cat, my cover blew. <laughs> the hole in the middle just let you out. <laughs> Donut Cat has to shout, Greg's holding chocolate bars full of weed. Chocolate bars full of weed. Hey, Mr. California TSA agent, Greg's got a chocolate bar full of weed. The show really must start at a certain point. Shopping can be a drag. Who has the patience for crowded stores at the time to try on 10 pairs of pants that don't even fit well? But you still want to look groovy. With Trunk Club, you never have to set foot in the mall again. Trunk Club takes the hassle out of shopping by shipping you a trunk of clothes that fit perfectly and make you look like a gajillion dollars with all the new autumn styles. At trunkclub.com slash proofs, you answer simple questions about your style, preferences, and size, and are assigned an expert stylist. They curate clothes from the best premium brands and you approve of what you like. And just like that, pow, a trunk arrives on your doorstep, zang, filled with hand-picked clothes that are perfect for you. Try them on, keep what you like, and easily return what you don't in their prepaid trunk. They sent a trunk full of groovy threads over to Proofcast HQ, and the process could not have been simpler. And I need simple. This is not a subscription service. You only pay for the clothes you keep from your trunk. No hidden charges, just groovy clothes. 
Right now, their entire styling service is free. Even the shipping. You only pay for the clothes you keep. To take advantage, go to trunkclub.com slash proofs. One last time, that's trunkclub.com slash proofs for a trunk filled with clothes you'll love wearing. I thank you, and my kittens thank you, and my moonjack remains ephemeral, but supports you emotionally. Dearest Gregory, writes uh, Damon, D-A-I-M-O-N. Damon. In the latest podcast, is. And to address a certain anti-fascist, I might have not got that whole page. In any case, uh, uh, I, I was talking about a group in London that stormed a cereal place called Cereal Killer because they were selling like 15 pound uh, in, their, in their coinage uh, bowls of cereal in the morning. And the local anarchists took the gravest umbrage at the yuppieization of their neighborhood. And quite right. Uh, however, I took exception to some of their tactics. For instance, they wore masks and, and stuff like that. I think if you're attacking a place that sells cereal you really don't have to wear a mask. It's going to be okay. You know what I mean? Like, I understand the cops are watching and shit, but like you're attacking a cereal store. It's not like you're attacking, you know, Buckingham Palace or something. I'd like, and by the way, I'm not suggesting you attack Buckingham Palace. <laughs> Let me clarify that. Slavery is always fun, and that's a joke no one will get in the middle of this show because it won't be at the beginning. Only you guys know it, and you didn't laugh to support me there. I'd like to rebut a couple of the comments you made. Who gave you the fucking floor? You did. I I did, all right. (laughs) The chair recognizes Greg. Thank you, chair. I'd like to, if I may, make a few points about Damon's rebuttal before it begins. (laughs) I do only the finest research at the Porpoise of Fruititude, and I think... Objection! Sustained! Overruled! Damon, I'm going to put your entire letter on trial. First of all, I've never in my 25 years as a potential legal counsel ever, ever felt this ephemeral about an emotional support moonjack in my life. Secondly, uh, I haven't read your letter yet, Damon, but I'm sure it contains nothing but half-truths and falsehoods. Now, if we can get to the matter at hand... There'll be no more interruptions or I will clear this proof room. <laughs> Anarchists can get carried away. <laughs> Damon, that's not a rebuttal. That's a simple statement of fact. That's like saying people who carry guns can get a little crazy sometimes. <laughs> wow. Stoners forget where their car is. <laughs> the group was called Fuck Parade, but I'm not going to keep saying it. I'm going to say it once. That was the anarchist group. Uh, attack on serial killer was evidence. They, they wanted to throw a brick. Their energies would have been better spent trashing a Starbucks. I don't think you should trash uh, property that much. Unless, well. Uh, <laughs> or a Shake Shack or whatever the British equivalent of grotesquely overpriced hamburgers and ice cream. Um, no argument for me, but their motivation for hitting serial killer was representative of an overprivileged hipster. I aware, I'm aware of what it was, uh, of an overprivileged hipster element that moved in the neighborhood and placed the blue-collar culture with corporate bohemian effect. I understand. It's nauseating and appreciated by 20-something dipshits and designer thrift store chic. Uh, fuck Parade should really have drilled down to a level deeper and attacked the capitalist interests that are making it possible. I agree with all that. Uh, three quid it was for a bowl mix and match cereal isn't really all that expensive. It's just stupid. 
which I thought was uh, uh, Additionally, you called, you kind of pick on them for wearing masks during the attack. I didn't kind of pick on them. I pointed that out. Uh, uh, that's by design. Yes, I know. At its root, it's not an act of cowardice. It's called the black bloc, and a lot of anti-fascist demonstrations it can come in hella handy, obviously. If you're at an anti-fascist demonstration, or you're demonstrating against the government, and uh, obviously the Occupy movement wears the Guy Fox mask, I understand the entire uh, uh, anonymous uh, retains their anonymity and always wears the mask. I understand the impetus behind it, because then you're not as easily tracked down by facial recognition software and all the other million ways that the government is collecting data in bulk every minute of the goddamn day. I'm fully aware of that, and I'm fully aware uh, that Edward Snowden is a whistleblower who was persecuted and forced to go to another foreign country and all of these things. And I believe in anarchy in a healthy way. I don't believe in random violence, and I don't believe the potential for random violence being uh, sprung on people who are innocently, however douchey and dipshit 20-something hipster they are, uh, um, if a brick comes through a fucking window while you're eating a bowl of cereal, that's a situation. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't care how expensive your cereal is. Uh, not everyone who needs to be punished gets punished. Dick Cheney walks around the earth swinging his dick wherever he wants. <laughs> oh, yeah. With his fifth heart beating furtively and his empty cavernous obsidian chest. You know how it works. Uh, dark loss. It's part of the reason anonymous members chest. Uh, lastly, you're free to thank you for letting me, and this is what we get to the crux of the matter. Thank you for writing me, Damon. I appreciate you trying to explain and expound on what uh, F Parade, and I can't believe I just said that, um, <laughs> did. Uh, and like I say, healthy anarchism is always on the menu uh, around here at Proof's Acres. Uh, but this is the part of the letter that struck my uh, ting tang. You refer, <laughs> rub my lady parts almost raw, <laughs> in, a, in a man way. I'm Greg of the man type. You refer, I am Greg of the Mantite. <laughs> you refer to thank you for letting me be myself again as the funkiest song ever written. That's by Sly and the Family Stone. This is objectively false. The funkiest song ever written is Climbing Up the Ladder by the Isley Brothers. All right, I put it to you, the people of Bellingham. I realize the entire crowd is pretty honky tonight, but we're going to do this anyway. <laughs> myself included. First, will you spin, thank you for letting me be myself, and crank it up to the maximum power. Please. That song is fucking good. No, crank this part up. this part. All right. 
Now, let's try climbing up the ladder by the Isley Brothers. Spin that one. Long majestic intro. Ernie Isley, right? Uh, and Jimi Hendrix was in the Isley Brothers, too. There's always a connection to Washington. And there's always a filling station with a dispensary. is wearing a mask, Damon. <laughs> they freely and of their own white people accord <laughs> voted that thank you for letting me be myself was a little funkier. Although, frankly, we didn't play all of <laughs> Climbing Up the Ladder. The Isley Brothers are unparalleled. Uh, a 50-year career. So many awesome songs. Who's That Lady? Um, Shout. Uh, five billion songs. Fight the Power which I've played before the show for years, uh, is an astounding record. Anyways, thank you for your writing, Damon. And we move on. Let's see here. Oh, my wife gave me this, and it's so awesome. Grace Jones. And I should have put Grace Jones on. But anyway, uh, Grace Jones. Uh, you know who she is, right? She's a, a diva, actress, dancer, funk, singer from Jamaica via England. And uh, this was just... <laughs> This was something Jennifer gave me, and I just loved it. Because she's been in the news a lot lately. Uh, she's been talking about people she knew and things she did. And you'll see her in every picture from the 70s and 80s at Studio 54 and with every groovy rock star. And you may remember during the Olympics a couple of years ago, when they were in London in 2012, they, she got up and did a hula hoop for a five-minute song. She did the hula hoop the whole time. And she's 60-something years old. And it was one of the most awesome performances in Olympic concert history. In any case, will you uh, go off the beaten track, Nathan, and find a little Grace Jones in there? If you go to the other menu, she's under Grace. <laughs> You'll uh, how about uh, pull up to the bumper? <laughs> Did you hear that? It was it was. It was a Northwestern with Jack, so it's kind of a baby Sasquatch. It's the ephemeral, ephemeral from the elusive emotional support baby Sasquatch. It makes a noise like an Apple product. And then it takes off with your feelings and steals your head. What's this one? The other Grace Jones one. <laughs> Pull up to the bumper, it's called. Pull up to the bumper and drive it in between. This is not pull up to the bumper. 
If you go to the playlist under Ladies Pre-Show, it's in there somewhere. Oh, I can wait. I've bored more audiences than you've had hot bowls of fucking soup, Nathan. I got a couple miles on me, man. I've bided more time than you've ever dreamt of wasting. Great sound, right? It's for early 80s New York disco coked up fucking. She's about this big with a fucking purple mascara, flat top, you know? Like chest out, no shirt, you know? Leaning to get Here, turn it down a little bit. I had my very first ecstasy pill in the company of Timothy Leary, which is a bit like flying to the moon with Neil Armstrong. <laughs> This is Grace Jones. Uh, This is from the Guardian newspaper interview. I learned the taste of what was good and what was bad. On very good ecstasy, I was okay. I would only take half a tablet because my body's not good on excess. I know my body. I like to be in control of being out of control. Extreme, but in moderation. Crazy out there, but within reason. Coke was never my job. Although, there are some who might be surprised by that. By being so closely associated with Studio 54, the assumption is that I was a complete cocaine fiend. If I'd taken as much cocaine as is rumored, I wouldn't have a nose. Actually, I preferred to put a rock up my ass rather than snort it. Turn the music up for a second. Up. Turn the music up. Sometimes it might get blown up there, one way or another. That is sophisticated. I wasn't ready for that one. Then you get a very wonderful sexual feeling in your lower half. I love my lower half. Because I'm Greg of the male type. Stick a tiny rock up your butt and it feels fantastic. By the way, if you're a child listening to this and you're blanket for it right now, if there's a 13-year-old out there, don't do this. Wait until you meet someone. The coke must be clean, of course, very clean. That's the word. More than pure. Or you put a bit of lotion and rub it on your skin. She said she wasn't a complete cocaine fiend. And yet, in all my years in show business, I've never seen anyone rub it on their skin with lotion or put it up their butt. That doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Tried that with a couple girlfriends in Paris. Nice. Nice. You know what's nice? Uh, uh, Riding your bike over a bridge. 
picking wild blackberries, watching bees toil on roses. You know what else is nice? Rubbing coke on your skin with lotion in Paris. It's true. Eggnog with a friend. There's a lot of things. And the Cocoa Puffs. Do we know what Cocoa Puffs are? I feel like I'm giving a 70s drug class here. It's when you put Coke in a cigarette. How do you do that? Don't worry about it. That way of taking it, rather than putting it up my nose, Grace Jones. Thank you for sharing that, Grace. Uh, I've never felt so unsophisticated in my entire life. I feel like I should be wearing a bow tie and shorty pants and have a straw suitcase. I feel like I've embarrassed myself utterly. I picked up the wrong spoon. And I do mean that. Thank you, Nathan. Uh, Jeff Davis sent me this. You may know Jeff Davis uh, from uh, Harmontown, of course. Uh, He's also in the Who's Live Anyway group. Very incestuous show tonight. Duck wearing bow tie walks into a pub, drinks pint, fights dog, loses. Jeff sent me this news story. The booze-loving, a bow-tie-wearing duck has been injured in a drunken pub brawl with a local dog in Chumley, Devon. The booze-loving bird, affectionately named Star, was enjoying a pint in the old courthouse inn with his handler, Farn Heyman, when Heyman's canine, Maggie, sparked a bar brawl. Star was left with injuries to his beak after the fight. Star pushed his luck too far and Maggie snapped, splitting Star's bottom beak right down the middle. Heyman, 69, told the Cheddar Valley Gazette. There's two papers of record I go to. Um, Fox News has a show called The Five. I get a lot of my information from that show. And I'm joking, of course. Sensitive, liberal, invalid mention of Fox News is too much for me now. I mean, it's okay if people disagree, but do they have to say it? I'm wearing a mask when I watch it next time. Fucking Fox News is watching me, man. There's a blonde lady in a skirt watching me. The Cheddar Valley Gazette says, he gave her a stare and promptly stood on her back was not pretty and not nice. We were so scared we would lose Star. He had to be rushed to the vets and go under anesthetic, which is always risky and could go either way with ducks and other small animals. (laughs) Tell me about it. (laughs) If I had a million dollars for every time I have rushed a fowl (laughs) to the emergency room, I would have less than a million (laughs) dollars. Thankfully, our star's a tough cookie, and it looks like he came out okay. Star, and then there's a photograph, which you can't see, of the duck with a pint in front of it, (laughs) wearing a bow tie. This fucking maniac, Graham Heyman, whatever the cock his name was. The booze. Barry Heyman, barn Barry Heyman, takes a duck wearing a bow tie into a pub and stands it on the bar every day, and at the... Did I? Does baby Sasquatch have a flashlight? 
I saw a light come from the back of the room. I was distracted, disconcerted, discombobulated. I didn't know which way to turn. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who my friends were anymore. Not even Jeff Davis, who gave me this article, and Ryan Stiles, who let me do this gig here. All of a sudden, the light was in my eyes. There must have been something really important back there in the darkness. Did you drop a nugget of Coke you were about to sit on? Could it be that you disagree with the assertion of the room that thank you for letting me be myself is funkier than climbing up the ladder? And that finally you'd realize that you must demonstrate that with a visual light show. <laughs> Heyman has cared for Star ever since he was a chick, carrying around in his pocket. Once the duckling grew up, he developed a taste for real ale. Um, no, he didn't. <laughs> This is someone like the people who carry iguanas on their shoulder and the iguana substitutes for their personality. Have you met the guy with the duck who comes to the pub and the duck wears a bow tie? Isn't he fascinating? I have met him, but I think the duck's doing a lot of the heavy lifting on this one. <laughs> he won't just leave me and so we go everywhere together. I've not trained him to follow me. He just seemed to like it and he's one fantastic duck. He loves to come to the pub where everyone loves him. He's such a personality and attracts so much attention. And still, dogs can attack. Deep inside every dog, there's a dog. <laughs> uh, it's boring and it's preachy. Oh, well, there's no time. I'm joking, of course. God, you guys. You're so sensitive here, I forget. If I mention Fox News, someone goes, boo. read one Grace Jones story in front of some kids. All of a sudden, you're a bad influence. I thought it was entertaining. It was meant to be funny. The crowd here is like... Posterior cocaine consumption is a serious issue here in Washington State. You may have noticed there's a coke drop in every bathroom in this state, so that people don't put it up their butt. But what about your lower half? Don't you want a beautiful sexual feeling? I'm all lower half. I'm part donut, part cat. Uh, Matt Taibbi in Rolling Stone has lots of good things to say, but he was talking about the Pope. I know it's a month later, but I wanted to read this one paragraph about the Pope that he wrote. I was raised Catholic. To me, the church is a giant evil transnational corporation operating a, a dreary business model, one that nurtures debilitating guilt feelings in its followers, then offers to make them go away temporarily in exchange for donations. I realize the church does some nice things with the money it raises and that other people have a different opinion, but this is my experience. And this pope, for all his good qualities, is to me a modern version of an old religious scam. In Tsarish Russia, you'd have some wizened starrets show up at an aristocrat's estate in rags and preach to the ladies of the house about the evils of wealth in exchange for wine, pastries, and a few nights in a feather bed. Uh, George Will is right when he says Francis speaks in the intellectual tone of a fortune cookie, saying things like, people occasionally forgive, but nature never does. Uh, now, I happen to like the Pope, but I agree with Matt Taibbi that he's the tool of a giant corporation in a lot of ways. Uh, however, he's a nicer, friendlier version than we've had in the past. Uh, uh, but I thought this was very funny because, as you recall, when the Pope was here, everyone was completely up in arms and people were running up to kiss him and whatnot. Uh, people have such impassioned political fights with the Pope because everyone wants the endorsement of the guy closest to God. But what if he's not closer to God and is just a guy in a funny hat? <laughs> 
we have to ask ourselves that question about all of our philosophical underpinnings in this world. And it doesn't matter what kind of funny hat you're wearing and what religion you're the head of. Uh, uh, there's a chance that, this could, that all that doctrine is right uh, because it was collated by men, and men rarely ever fabricate in their own self-interest. <laughs> there's also a chance that there's many alternative views that would also suit the worldview of the universe, uh, and so I thought I'd read that. Doesn't that make all this fuss and controversy ridiculous? It seems strange that in the year 2015, we still can't say that out loud. Well, you just did, and I repeated it. Uh, like I said, I, 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 if the Pope gives you hope to carry on, then good for you. Um, I think that's fantastic. Um, as Frank Sinatra once said, as a, what was it, a nickel-plated manic depressive, I'm for prayer, drink, or anything that gets you through the goddamn night. Um, let's see here. Boring is preaching. It starts now. Uh, this is from the Bellingham Herald. Oh, yeah. Bellingham's next to the Cheddar Valley Gazette, the other <laughs> paper that I go to. Both of the stories I'm going to read to you from the Bellingham Herald are taken from other news sources. So they were collated by the Bellingham Herald. Uh, Texas seeks records unrelated to abortion. As you know, Texas has restrictive abortion laws. Uh, they've been going way overboard with it. And now they've actually sent, excuse me, law enforcement agents to uh, the Planned Parenthood clinics that they've already fucking handcuffed. What does this do? Well, it makes poor women uh, have to drive hundreds of miles uh, to get any kind of uh, uh, health care at all. Uh, and, and birth control becomes more scarce. And you can prove it statistically. I'm not going to go into boring statistics. Um, states where there's a better birth control program, like, oh, I don't know, California, um, have less uh, unwanted pregnancies and less abortion. That's how that works. It doesn't work the other way, where you close abortion clinics and deny women the right to do whatever they want with their own fucking body. Uh, and there's been a lot of chit-chat this week. And, of course, it'll be three weeks from now when this airs. But Dr. Ben Carson was on uh, telly this weekend. And uh, he's running for president uh, on the I'm a Psychopath Party. And um, <laughs> he's already stated that uh, the Holocaust wouldn't have happened if the Jews had sidearms. Um, and then this week he took it upon himself to equate abortion with slavery in some way, that the fetus is a slave and whatnot. It's an insult uh, to women everywhere and an insult to everyone's intelligence. Um, uh, abortion is autonomy, physical autonomy. If women do not enjoy autonomy over their own bodies, they don't enjoy any rights at all. And uh, to say otherwise is to grandstand to the lowest common denominator of people that are misogynistic against women seeking any kind of health care in that regard. Because it, uh, this whole uh, nonsense about fetuses being chopped up and all that and the film that has been going around is complete cloth. And uh, in any case, uh, the fight over Medicaid funding for Planned Parenthood moved to Texas this week, three days after Governor Greg Abbott is his name, in case you wish to write him or email him, announced his decision to end Medicaid for Planned Parenthood. State health department investigators showed up at Planned Parenthood centers in Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, Brownsville, with orders to turn over thousands of pages of document, patient records, employee home addresses, and telephone numbers. They feel empowered to do that now. It's not enough that they've cut off women's rights. They're sending health department officials to persecute and scourge women and make women feel shameful for wanting what is rightfully theirs, which is the right to fucking medical help. And don't we all want prenatal care? Don't we all want ultrasounds? Don't we all want uh, uh, cancer screenings? All the wonderful things that Planned Parenthood does. And this is a direct blow against women. 
That's what it is. It's not about protecting anyone or any fetuses. If people loved fetuses so much, there'd be free food for school children from the time they enter fucking school until the time they're out of school. And there isn't, because that's not how it's ever going to work. The organization said the videos, uh, uh, the battle over medical plan parenthood has been high-pitched nationwide since the release of videos secretly shot by abortion opponents posing as representatives of a biomedical firm seeking fetal tissue. Now in California, they've closed all the uh, fake clinics. You have to prove that you're an actual clinic that cares for women. There's been a lot of pregnancy centers, as they call them in California, where women come in and they're shown scary films and they're talked out of getting an abortion. And those are all closed in California legally now, whereas Texas has gone the opposite direction. That is sending health department officials to harass employee records, home numbers and stuff. Really, you guys? Um, so you're evil if you take part in contraception or health care? Um, uh, how about uh, going to gun shops where they're just selling to anyone? How about, yeah. Um, how about closing down some of the fucking strip joints where women are prostituted out and abused and shit like that in Texas? There seems to be a titty bar in every goddamn mall there. I don't see the health department running there and making sure those women are paid uh, and looked after and have any kind of health plan and stuff. Why is that? <laughs> the videos purported to show Planned Parenthood officials trying to illegally profit from the sale of fetal tissue. And their release has led many states to question whether Planned Parenthood, blah, blah. The organization said the videos were heavily and deceptively edited, because they were, and that it never violated federal law, because they didn't. Alabama, Arkansas, Louisiana have also moved to cut off Medicaid funding for Planned Parenthood. That's a direct blow at the poor and the poorest elements of our society. And the poorest elements of our society are always women. Women and children are at the bottom of the economic ladder. Uh, in every uh, area of society. It is not equal in any way, and if you think it is, you're knave. Uh, <laughs> and what I mean to imply by that. Sing on, brother. Right on. Uh, so uh, that's what, uh, you know, when you hear these, uh, it happened in the last uh, election, you recall, um, uh, the representative from Missouri talked about uh, there was rape rape and, uh, and, and that uh, um, women abort their own bodies when they know how, they can, uh, when they are raped and there's all this discussion by men of what happens to women when they're raped and when they are pregnant and how they should abort I don't understand why men have any say in this at all if women said if women said we're tired of these unbelievable, uh, uh, irrepressible, omnipresent fucking boners coming at us all the time. And every minute on TV, I have to see ads for Cialis and Viagra. And I'm tired of being battered like a battering ram with this horrible thing. And, and all medical research seems to have gone toward that. And no man has to go in for counseling to get boner pills at any point. And yet women are put through the fucking mill. Um, uh, you've been reading the meme, I'm sure, on the internet that talks about if we treated gun owners like we treat women who are going in for fucking healthcare at Planned Parenthood and stood outside gun shops and yelled murderer at them and fucking harassed them and put their names online. Uh, you know what I mean? <coughs> There's a lot of terrorism going on in this country, and it's not by Ahab the A-Rab or Bridget the Midget. It's by <laughs> people who fucking harass women at abortion clinics and who fucking harass the doctors and kill them and shit like that and harass the staffs. It's a very present danger. Abortion clinics are bombed and, 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 and set fire to all the time in this country, and the government really does nothing about it, and they don't call it terrorism because it's not an identifiable enemy with a swarthy fucking towel and whatnot. Yeah! <laughs>
And we have to listen to men go on and on and on with their fucking palaver about what they think is best for women. It's really, really shocking. I'm not telling you who to vote for for president. <laughs> Scrutiny of police linked to crime rise. I read this in two different papers today. This is from the Bellingham Herald via the New York Times. The FBI director, James B. Comey, Comey, said Friday that additional scrutiny and criticism of police officers that has come in the wake of highly publicized incidents of police brutality. How gently is this written? <laughs> in light of a guy being strangled to death for selling cigarettes in New York, in light of a guy being shot multiple times in Ferguson, uh, Missouri, and the cops getting exonerated and nothing happening to them, in light of what's happened in Baltimore, in light of what's happened in every goddamn city, that's what we're talking about. Not a wake of highly publicized incidents of police brutality, a nationwide systemic fucking disease whereby law enforcement officials harass and brutalize the underclass, specifically black men, specifically young black men, uh, in a terrible and fucking offhanded, unpunished way. That's what we're talking about here. Not a series of highly publicized incidents. Fuck your glossy ass writing, New York Times. <laughs> but let me get to the end of the paragraph. Um, he blames that additional scrutiny may be the reason, the main reason, for the recent increase in violent crime. Oh, surely it couldn't be the fact that the 1% has all the money and that there's no welfare system in place and that there's homeless people running around everywhere because there's no safety net for them and that they're considered pariahs and that people are all one paycheck away from ending up on the goddamn street because the price of rent has been jacked up through unbelievable real estate development and the fact that all the rich people in the world are trying to buy up everything and squeeze everyone out to shit areas where they can't afford anymore, that everyone deserves fucking three squares a day and some sort of semblance of a fucking bed and that that's what America should be about and not just a free market capitalist system that allows the fucking rich to enrich themselves and everyone fucking use the police, uh, the rich use the police as their fucking army against the poor, which is what's going on. And for them, I don't know whether that explains it entirely, but I have a strong sense some part of the explanation is a chill wind that has blown through American law enforcement over the last year. How about a bracing fucking wake-up call? A chill wind? You mean you're hamstrung by not being able to shoot fucking suspects and beat people on the corner? That hamstrings law enforcement in this country? That's what the director of the FBI thinks. Who, by the way, Obama should have a fucking little meeting with him. I don't know how this was allowed to go through and if he countenanced it or vetted it in any way. But these remarks are completely out of hand. Uh, he lent the prestige of the FBI, the nation's most prominent law enforcement agency, lent the prestige. Do you mean the agency that had three separate women agents in three separate stations alert them to the fact that there was going to be some kind of fucking terrorist act on September 11th and that they had information leading that people were going to fly planes into buildings and that all three of those reports were ignored by the very Federal Bureau of Investigation that's so prestigious? Is this the same agency that we're talking about here, the same agency that helps collate information against all of us all the time that wasn't able to run to ground, whatever. <laughs> I mean, I realize I sound like Fox News now when I'm reaching back to 9-11. It just drives me crazy. 
Look, listen to how they're characterized, right? They're characterized as a prestigious law enforcement agency instead of a largely white group of fucking guys who haven't caught up with modern crime techniques. And please, if you're in the FBI, I want you to know you're doing a bang-up job. Please don't close this show down. We have only the best intentions at heart. Remember, a criticized government is an alert government. Comey said he'd been told by many police officers who would normally stop, question suspicious people, are opting to stay in their patrol cars for fear of having their encounters recorded and become video sensations. Well, the cat in Cleveland who was shot outright, the child in Cleveland, Tamir Rice, who was shot outright, and that was on video. Really? That's what you're afraid of? That you can't do that? How about just not getting out of the car and shooting people? Um, I'm not a policeman, and I realize it's an extraordinarily difficult job being a peace officer. Um, you have to walk the line a, a thousand different ways. But I think these remarks are destructive and in a lot of ways um, counterproductive to what we need to be discussing in this country, which is equity, equality, and fucking civil rights for everyone. And the beginning of civil rights is you have the right not to be fucking errantly shot because you seem suspicious to policemen. It's not going to get funnier. But we'll stop here for a second. Uh, November 6th, we're in Santa Rosa. November 7th, we're in Marin. You already said that. Uh, let's see here. Uh, December 30th will be, oh, oh, goodness. We have a lot of dates coming up, don't we? Uh, we'll be, and I haven't written any of There they are. Uh, let's see. We'll be at the Nerd Mount. Yeah, that's coming up. We'll be in uh, Ventura in November at the Ventura Comedy Club. We'll be at Nerd Mount on the 29th. We'll be at the Bell House in Brooklyn on uh, the 27th of November. And we'll be at the Punchline in San Francisco from the 30th of December. Next year, we'll be in Houston, uh, San Jose, and Denver. Uh, notice how we go to oh, Portland also. January, we're in Portland the 14th through the 17th, uh, which isn't very far from here. Yay, Portland. Yay, Portland. <laughs> As Ryan's always says to me, Seattle's slutty little sister. <laughs> I take exception to that, and I'm a kitten and a donut. <laughs> Portland's donut, crazy, or used to be. Uh, we'll be in Portland and Colorado. You notice my movements. <laughs> and there you go. Uh, Eve Ensler wrote this in The Nation, and uh, I may not read the whole thing because it's pretty excruciating. I'll read you a little bit of it, you'll get the idea, and then we'll move on from this uh, to uh, other things. Uh, Eve Ensler, of course, wrote the vagina monologue. She's an activist, a playwright, a writer and an all-around good egg. Um, this is from The Nation, as I say, if you want to look up the entire uh, piece. Um, and there's a, the photograph is of uh, the Yazidi sisters who escaped from captivity by the Islamic State militants. They sit in a tent at the Sharia refugee camp as the, as the beginning of the article. Um, this is a, all about women. I'm thinking of the price list leaked out from the ISIS sex slave market that included women and girls on the same list as cattle. ISIS needed to impose price controls as they were worried about a downturn in their market. 40 to 50 year old women were priced at $41, 30 to 40 year old women at $62, 20 to 30 year old women $82, and 1 to 9 year old children $165. This is hard going and it's going to get harder. Women over 50 weren't even listed, they had no market value. They were discarded like milk cartons with past sale date markers. But they weren't simply abandoned in some smelly dung heap of trash. First, they were probably tortured, beheaded, and raped, then thrown into a pile of rotting corpses. I'm thinking of a one-year-old child's body for sale and what it would be like for a hefty, sex-deprived, war-driven 30-year-old soldier to buy her. 
I'm thinking how in 2015, I'm actually reading an online best practices for sex slavery manual. Here are examples of the do's and don'ts. It's permissible to beat the female slave as a form of darb, tahib, dadib, that's disciplinary beating, but it is forbidden to use darb al-taksir, literally breaking and beating, darb al-tashafi, beating for the purpose of achieving gratification, or darb al-dahib, torture beating. Further, it's forbidden to hit the face. I'm wondering how the ISIS bureaucrats will distinguish punches, kicks, and choking as acts of discipline from acts of sexual gratification. Will the team of the Bureau break in and check for hard-ons as the beating of slaves occur? And how will they know what actually made the soldier hard? Many men get turned on solely by the assertion of power, and if it is determined that the soldier beat, choked, or kicked a slave for pleasure, what will the punishment be? Will the soldier be forced to return the slave and lose his deposit, pay a steep fine, or simply be made to pray harder? I'm not going to read the entire article because it gets much, much worse than that. What I want to say is this. Understand, when, I, when I'm talking about war all the time and how I'm against it and how I'm never for it, um, this is what happens in war. And these, uh, ISIS, as I've said several times on the show, is a money-making operation. They're not uh, ideologically driven. They're, they're um, thieves and scoundrels who steal as they go and uh, steal people's cars whatnot and put women in bondage and servitude and commit these kind of atrocities. Never mind uh, 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 the overt acts that the American media picks up on. This is the real crux of the matter. We, we set this avalanche in motion in this country, and we have every responsibility to try to bloody stop it. Um, it's an extraordinarily complex matter. Um, but what I want to get at is this. Um, she, has a, she has a paragraph here that I want to read at the end. Um, I, I don't have a solution for this at all, but I want everyone that's listening to understand that there, uh, if you think that women are equal in the world and you think that everything's been solved, it hasn't, and that this is going on all the time. Let's see here. It led me to think about love and how the failure of this century is a failure of love. What we're being called to do, what we're being really made of, each of us alive on this planet today, what kind of love, what depth of love, what fierceness and searing love is required? Not a naive, sentimental, neoliberal love, but an unrelenting, selfless love, a love that would vanquish systems built on the exploitation of multitudes for the benefit of a few, a love that would catalyze our numb revulsion at crimes against women and humanity into unstoppable collective resistance, a love that revered mystery and dissolved hierarchy, a love that found value in our connection rather than our, com our competing, a love that ensured we opened our arms to fleeing refugees rather than building walls to keep them out, or tear gassing them or removing their dead, bloated bodies from our beaches, a love that would burn so bright it would permeate our deadness and melt our walls, ignite our imaginations, and inspire us to finally break out of this story of death. A love so electric it would jolt us to give our lives for life itself if necessary. Who will be the brave, furious, visionary authors of our manual of revolutionary love? I just thought it was a, a profound piece. Like I say, I suggest you go and read it. Uh, sadly, I don't have a glib answer offhand. Um, that's why I read that paragraph at the end, which I think relies a lot more on people's goodwill. But just understand that anytime you're for a war, like say with Iran, or uh, that you want uh, actions to be taken against certain countries that you're fucked off about, um, this is the upshot of this kind of thing in almost every instance. And, um, and I'll say it again for the Billington show. These terrorist groups, the Boko Haram and ISIS and whatnot, um, ideology is not driving them any more than General Electric is driven by Christian doctrine. It's all right. Uncomfortable laughter is exactly the right response to that. <laughs> this is an article from The Guardian, and it was via Jezebel or Gawker. I can't remember. Jennifer gave it to me. 
It's an article about a guy who's a psychologist to the very wealthy because they feel insecure in this atmosphere. <laughs> if you have eaten tonight, try to contain your dinner during the reading of this article. <laughs> Wealth therapy tackles woes of the rich. Quote, it's really isolating to have lots of money. <laughs> it's hard for the wealthy to discuss their troubles as others see them as overprivileged, but one therapist tells them, Money's not the only thing that defines you. Your problems are legitimate. Clay Cockrell is in his office at Columbus Circle. Um, he's the founder of talk, Walk and Talk Therapy in Central Park. It, sh it, it shifted toward it naturally, instead of becoming an expert in wealth therapy. We're trained to have empathy, no judgment, and so many of the uber-wealthy, the 1% of the 1%, they feel their problems are really not problems, but they are. A lot of therapists do not give enough weight to their issues. And as they stroll through Manhattan, what issues are 1% struggling with? There's guilt over being rich in the first place, he said. <laughs> I realize I just read a paragraph about unconditional love. <laughs> but if you have so much money, you literally don't know what to do with it, and you're dizzy with fucking guilt because you have so much money, I have a good idea. Use it to help people. It's not, it's not impossible to not be that rich. Give away all of your money and you'll still have millions and millions of dollars. The 1% of the 1% owns 85% of the world's wealth. So they have money to spare. Instead of feeling guilty and walking through Central Park with this fucking dingwad. <laughs> Set up a foundation so that there's no more homeless people. Set up a foundation so that there's health care for everyone all the time. And I mean that. Like, you know, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and all these cocksuckers. Mark Zuckerberg. Sorry, I used the word cocksucker in a pejorative term. There's a lot of people who are cocksuckers who are very nice people. <laughs> it's like the medieval guilt of kings. On every medieval king's deathbed, when the last rites were given to them, they renounced taxes. They all banished taxes, and then they died, and the next king came in, and taxes were put right back up again. Um, the billionaires should have no problem giving all their money away. I don't understand why they feel guilty. It's easy not to feel guilty. Set up a foundation. Jesus Christ, the Rockefellers did it, and they were the most venal, awful people that ever walked the face of the earth. <laughs> it's not impossible as a rich person to do some good in this world. What's his name? Uh, Jack Conley or whatever the fuck his name is at uh, Twitter? They laid off... The, uh, what was it? Dorsey. What's his name? Jack Dorsey. Dorsey. What, what, how many employees did they lay off this week? And so he gave a bunch of his stock to the people? Well, he still owns like 15 million issues of stock. So his little beau jest is hilariously not enough. Uh, and again, remember, and I use Twitter as much as anyone else, these IT companies are not benign. They're not there so that you can feel good about yourself. But I work for one. Yeah, I know. Uh, but you read things for Squarespace. Fuck you. Uh, from the Bible to the Lannisters of Game of Thrones, it's easy to argue the rich have always been vilified, scorned, and envied. The counselors argue things have only gotten... Well, no, they haven't. No, they haven't. Not enough. That's why there's so many of them now. 
Um, uh, they haven't been vilified, scored and envy. They've been in control of the fucking media. They're in control of the presidency. They're in control of buying elections in America. They're in control of fucking running uh, 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 small businesses out of town. They're in control of making sure there's a goddamn fucking Subway sandwich at every fucking place you stop and a fucking Chipotle and, and some anodyne Bank of America and some corporate fucking bookstore instead of a, a local independent one. They're the reason why you can't fucking stop anywhere without having to go to a McDonald's or a fucking Denny's or having to buy gas from some giant fucking multinational oppressive fucking corporation or in, through the most overt fucking activities of your own support, the dominant paradigm that fucking makes nuclear weapons and keeps war going all over the goddamn world by the interlocking board of directors and fucking vast corporate resources that they bring to bear every time. They don't have to feel bad about a goddamn thing. They just need to change their shit around so they can enter heaven if they ever wish to. Even though, as we've discussed earlier, heaven might be a different place than we imagine it. Uh, blah, blah, blah. The Occupy Wall Street movement was a good one. It had some important things to say about income inequality. And it hasn't finished. It still carries on. They do dead erasure. But it singled out the 1% and painted them as globally negative. It's an ism, said Jamie Traeger Mooney, a wealth psychologist and founder of the Wealth Legacy Group. I'm not necessarily comparing it to what people of color have had to go through, but it really is making a value judgment about a particular... This is where you have to hold your fucking dinner down. I'm not saying it, but I said it. It's nothing like what people of color face. It's nothing like what women face. It's nothing like what the poor face. If, if the rich are vilified and scorned, they have the weapons, the wherewithal, the money, and the buttress to be able to defend themselves royally. And I mean that in a medieval way. Uh, the media is partly to blame to make the rich feel like they're ashamed. It's easy to scapegoat the rich. Yeah, because they're evil and run the world shittily. If the rich would give money to everyone, not even give money, don't, never mind charity. Charity's out of the question. If they only paid their taxes, and they don't. That's why there's holes in the road. That's why there's old ladies digging through trash. That's why there's no rape crisis centers. That's why there's no suicide centers. That's why there's no protection for LGBT people. That's why there's no abortion clinics. That's why all of these things, there, there's not enough money for any of those things, even though there's enough money for all of them. They don't pay their share of taxes. They have offshore hiding places. They are let loopholes by the government. They hire the people to lobby the government to make the laws so that they, in essence, make the laws. Decisions like Citizens United and shit like that have completely fuckle-walked the balance <laughs> of politics in this country. Since the financial crisis of 2008, the income gap has expanded and the situation's gotten worse for the wealthy. <laughs> Funny how I see it in exactly the opposite way. The main reason? Not knowing if your friends are friends with you or your money. Who gives a shit? Someone who else is a billionaire, they don't want anything from you. Never being able to trust your friendships with people of different means, I think that's difficult. As the gap is widened, they become more and more isolated. I've got an idea. Do your own laundry. <laughs> or I've got a, a better idea. Take a bus down to the laundromat and join the fucking rest of us, man. I mean, for real. That is just fucking crazy. No, I don't take a bus to a laundromat. I have a washing machine in my house before anyone fucking goes crazy on me and goes, you're a bourgeois fucking middle class, liberal elite, fucking white guy privileged asshole speaking out of your fucking ass about something you have no fucking opinion on that could be validated in any way. That may be true. 
However, I think bringing uh, the law to bear uh, on the wealthy and bringing tax issues to bear on the wealthy is not exactly being a fucking lefty radical. It's only what's fair and what's fucking right and has never been enacted in this country since the white slave-owning, wig-wearing fucking dudes that wrote the Constitution made sure that nothing would ever fucking be right as long as we lived and that we'd have to argue over this till the end of goddamn time. <laughs> when they're closing, they're sending health department officials to get fucking employees' records at Planned Parenthood clinics and not chasing the rich down and putting everyone in jail who fucking caused the financial crisis. And then I have to read articles where psychologists are saying, it's really been hard on the wealthy. <laughs> How much is an apartment in Bellingham compared to 10 years ago? How much is an apartment in Seattle compared to 10 years ago? Yeah, you get the idea. I don't have to say anything else besides that. Wealth can be a barrier to connecting with other people, confessed a spouse. Good. <laughs> people say, poor you, there's not a lot of sympathy there. Still one of the last taboos. Often I use an analogy with my clients that coming out to people about their wealth is similar to coming out of the closet as gay. <laughs> There's no entitlement the rich don't feel fucking privileged enough to take. To compare, these are their psychologists who are paid good money by them, and they've compared them to uh, people of color and gay people. And no, it's not like either of those things. People of color and gay people had to fight and die and fight and die and fight and die and are still fighting and dying every day to get the simplest rights, like the right not to be fucking killed for walking down the fucking street, and the right to marry people, and the right to vote. Which they still don't have, by the way. Uh, and there you are. Uh, if you, I don't know, struggle for money. There are many parts of your life. Uh, and then, you know, I don't think it's healthy to discount your problems. You're part of the 1%. You still have problems and they're legitimate to you. Obviously, everyone has psychological problems and everyone has emotional problems. And I feel uh, sympathy for anyone who does. But if you're really, really wealthy and you're walking through Central Park with a psychologist who's going to tell you exactly what you want to hear and that your problems are special and shit, I have something to tell you. You're not special because you have money. You just have money. You're in no way unique. Most of the people, as you know, have gathered wealth or inherited wealth. Most of the really, really, really rich 1% of the 1% of the people in the world didn't do fuck all for their money. No one put their nose to the grindstone. Stop telling all of us to work every day. Stop having things like you've got to uh, take a drug test to get welfare. Fuck you. You know who has welfare? All of the rich people of the world because they skate along without paying any of their fucking fair share at any time because they own the fucking means of everything. And so I I'm tired of hearing that uh, over and over and over again. It's the biggest lie we're always fucking fed in this country. Um, maybe you have emotional problems that are legitimate to you. Hooray, hurrah. Um, did you work hard to do anything in your life? No, you fucking didn't. So fuck to the you. Uh, and on that note, we move on uh, to uh, uh, brighter pastures. Maureen O'Hara uh, was a fabulous actress, is a fabulous actress, who is uh, making the heavens swirl around her. The queen of technicolor, uh, she was called, uh, because she had flaming red hair and beautiful green eyes. Five foot eight. Oh, yeah, baby. Uh, uh, you may remember her from The Hunchback of Notre Dame with Charles Lawton. He signed her as a teenage actress. She was a dancer in England, uh, at Ireland, right? She's quite Irish. And she made a Hitchcock picture in 39, and Lawton saw her in it. And he signed her to a personal contract. He, another actor, a producer, signed her to a personal contract. She plays Esmeralda in uh, his version of The Hunchback of Notre Dame, which is superb. And when Color came out, she was quite a popular star because she had flaming red hair and she was awesome. The thing about her is... She's completely independent. Um, one of the critics described her as always having her hands on her hips and uh, basically saying, don't fuck with me, right? And um, 
she graduated from being a, a, a young, beautiful actress into being a redoubtable, gorgeous mother. And uh, uh, she's the mother in um, Miracle on 34th Street. She tries to convince Natalie Wood that Santa Claus doesn't exist. She's uh, the mother in The Parent Trap with Brian Keith. Um, she's in McClintock with uh, John Wayne. She's in five movies with John Wayne. And uh, they have unbelievable electric chemistry on screen. I think they had, I'm not going to go get arrested for libel on this show, but let's just say they had a very close relationship. And um, <laughs> she was also the first CEO of an American airline. She married a man who ran an airline, and he passed away, and she took over the fucking chairmanship of the airline. She was a badass door in a thousand different ways. A couple of movies for you, uh, aside from those ones. The Quiet Man with John Wayne. Um, it was uh, an Irish film filmed in Galway. If you ever go to Galway and you go to the Galway airport, there's a gift shop full of Quiet Man stuff. Uh, Marina Harrow was a daughter of Ire and, uh, and quite Irish. And they, uh, she got an American passport as well as an Irish passport, uh, or citizenship rather, in her lifetime. Oh, I saw her speak two years ago at the TCM Film Festival and she came out in a wheelchair and uh, wig slightly askew and was still an unbelievable super fox. And uh, her brogue was thick as the dickens too. It's like, oh, no, 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 <laughs> in the movie, she is not quite as Irish, except in how, uh, Quiet Man. And uh, in Quiet Man, uh, uh, there's a scene where she hits John Wayne, and she was fucked off at him, and she fucking really hits him. And broke her hand and had to be taken to the emergency room and had a hairline fracture, yeah. And they brought her back to the set that day to make her work more. Oh, yeah, John Ford was a hard ass, right? So John Ford is the, the movie director who made uh, a thousand westerns, you know? Uh, she wore a yellow ribbon uh, and whatnot. I was going to say Red River, but that's Howard Hawks. Um, Fort Apache, uh, 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 My Darling Clementine, uh, hundreds of pictures, John Wayne, as a, uh, John Ford was a brilliant director. He had an eye patch, right? And um, uh, he never ate lunch. I don't know why I know that, but he didn't. <laughs> he carried on working. Everyone else took a lunch break. And he was rough and tough, baby. And he came from the silent films, and he was a brilliant uh, filmmaker. Uh, almost all of his movies are about what I've often discussed, where uh, if you watch black and white movies from the 30s and 40s, um, the point of and thrust of a lot of movies from American film then is that the entire world is Scottish-Irish. <laughs> and uh, Jimmy Cagney's career was here to tell us that the entire world was Scottish-Irish. Uh, but uh, John Ford's movies were here to tell us that almost everyone is named McCain. <laughs> or McLean. Uh, and John Wayne uh, 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 was in this picture with her. And uh, uh, so John Ford was, uh, there's a scene where they had a wind machine on her, blown from the back. And she had a giant shock of flaming red, tempestuous, uncontrollable, sexually active hair. <laughs> and it was whipping in her eyes. And she said, and this is from her memoir, which is called uh, It's Herself, which is fantastic. It's a very Irish way of saying it's, it's me. And uh, she, she, it's herself. Because uh, uh, they say it has himself. Uh, she said, the, uh, the, my hair was whipping in my eyes like wire. And Ford goes, God damn it, keep your eyes open. Can't you do the scene right? And she fucking went, You bald headed son of a bitch, what would you know about fucking hair whipping in your eyes? <laughs> And the entire set went silent. <laughs> John Wayne, everybody. Because Jack Ford wore a cowboy hat or a little director's hat, and they had the eye patch. And Jack Ford sat there, and then he went, ah, ha, ha, and started laughing. She said, everyone broke out. So she goes, I got away with that one. I thought he was going to fucking kill me. She would never swear. I added the swearing. Take out both of the fucks. Maybe she did on the set. 
And then she had to do a scene later in the picture where she had to be dragged through a field face down, and he, Ford made sure it was full of sheep turds. <laughs> and the end of that paragraph in her book says, isn't show business glamorous? <laughs> the black swan with Tyrone power uh, crossed swords with Cornell Wilde and do anything you can to see against all flags with Errol Flynn and uh, Maureen O'Hara. Errol Flynn and Maureen O'Hara. Maureen O'Hara wears thigh-high boots and fucking kills dudes in sword fights in this movie. She's a bad asador of the highest fucking caliber. Um, How Green Was My Valley was best picture. She's the star of that as well. Um, you really got to get into Maureen O'Hara. She's not a Betty Davis type. She's not a Joan Crawford type. She's not a Catherine O'Hara type. It's not about fine acting and giant broad characters. It's about being strong, solid, realistic, fucking sexy, and no shit taken at any point. That's why I say the heavens are made to swirl by her. She's not up there swirling in the heavens. She's fucking standing there like this with her hands on her hips, waiting for the universe to ring around her. Uh, that's what Maureen O'Hara is doing right now. I want to play you one little thing. Play, will you just play a little bit of her singing, will you? Because on top of everything else, she could do that. And I'm telling you, the names of these movies are Fantastic Fifties Against All Flags. Is that the most generic name for a pirate movie in the history of mankind? <laughs> Against All Flags. Hail, Buccaneer! Here, crank up her song. The Danny Boy one. Fantastic. And you know I'm not a big person to promote Celtic pride. I just think it's awesome show business could have a person like her in it. And turn that one down. And uh, that was really lovely. Uh, I, again, I recommend to you Maureen O'Hara. Uh, she has everything going for her. Um, she was, uh, when she passed, uh, she was laying in her bed. Uh, uh, two, one, two more quick stories. I saw her in the wheelchair, uh, and she was a total fox, and quite tall, as I said, five foot eight. A friend of mine named John Sessions, who you may remember from the very early seasons of Whose Line Is It Anyway. I'm going to tell his story out of school, because he's not here to fucking defend himself. John was a, is a brilliant improviser and a wonderful actor. And a very funny man. And he's still working in England, uh, in case you're interested. And um, John, uh, he's also in uh, 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 Gangs of New York by Martin Scorsese. He's, uh, he's in lots of pictures. In any case, John told me and Jennifer a story once at the Aspen Comedy Festival. Roddy McDowell took him over to Maureen O'Hara's house. And while he was over at the house, he accidentally called her Maureen Sullivan. Who is, Maureen Sullivan is Mia Farrow's mother. And is another actress. And you may remember her because she played Jane in all of the Tarzan movies. She was quite thin. And Marina uh, uh, Hara wasn't amused. <laughs> so they got back to Roddy McDowell's house, and John was completely stricken that he had um, called her Marina Sullivan. Because she went, I'm not Marina Sullivan. I'm Marina Hara. <laughs> and Marina Sullivan was brown haired and it was like this Marina O'Hara, tall, giant chocolate. So Roddy phoned Maureen O'Hara and handed the phone to John. <laughs> Maureen, darling, John's here and he wants to say something to you. <laughs> and John had to go, Miss O'Hara, I'm very sorry I called you Maureen <laughs> Until she went, that's all right. <laughs> I can think of nothing more intimidating than calling Maureen O'Hara Maureen O'Sullivan. 
in any case, when she drifted away, uh, um, she was listening to the music from The Quiet Man. So let's cue that up there. Uh, in, in any case, I want to tell you, I, I didn't mean to end on a, 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 a eulogistic note, but somehow that happens in the show here. I want to thank everyone for all the gifts they gave me uh, here tonight and all the intercourse we've had socially. Um, uh, it's such a pleasure to be back in Washington. And, of course, I want to thank Ryan Stiles most of all. It's a pleasure to be on tour with him. It's a pleasure to be part of his gang. And it's a pleasure to know a man who's so generous in his own community and so wonderful to so many aspiring improvisers here. And, and Bellingham as well. Uh, may every page that you turn be a satchel page. May every bell that wings be a cool bell. If you have to buy bonds, make sure they're very bonds. Good night.